But for our second scripture reading this morning, we will be looking at Matthew 28, verses 1 through 15. We have reached the last chapter in Matthew. And we are almost done. There'll be one more sermon after this one, but here we are, Matthew 28, verses 1 through 15, and you can find that on page 1549 of your pew Bibles. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Thus ends our reading of God's holy words, the words of our risen Lord. May all who hear them be filled with joy and courage. In eternity past, when God decided to rescue his people, there were a number of conditions that had to be met. You see, in order for such a plan of redemption to come about, God had to be true to himself, true to the, the, the characteristics that define his nature. And so this plan of salvation it needed to satisfy his holiness. It needed to satisfy his justice. It needed to satisfy his sovereignty. And it needed to satisfy his loving kindness. And so it was at a precise moment in time that our Lord chose to carry these things out. God became a man and dwelt among us. And he did so because he, he knew that he was really the only one who could accomplish this task, who could accomplish the things that were necessary to bring sinful man back into a restored relationship with him. And this is what this last part of Matthew's gospel has been communicating to us. 
Those things that were necessary for God's salvific work to be accomplished. Things such as it being God's will and and not man's for this salvation to take place. Because, let's be honest, in and of ourselves, we would not choose it. And then there was the necessity of, of establishing a new covenant. As the old covenant was powerless to save anyone. And then we saw the necessity of a submissive Savior. As Jesus yielded to his Father's will to rescue those who have who have really turned their backs upon God. And then we witness a condemned Savior. As Jesus stood trial before the Sanhedrin and and was declared guilty, bearing the verdict that we deserve. But this is also why we needed a forgiving Savior, as each and every one of us bear the weight of a guilty conscience. And then we saw the necessity of a rejected Savior, As Jesus' own people turned upon him with shouts of crucify, crucify. And this was also necessary in order that we can find acceptance with the Father. This uh, then led to Jesus being nailed to the cross as he took upon the wrath of the Father, the punishment that we deserve. For we needed a, a, a crucified Savior as our substitutionary atonement. And then last week, we, we saw the necessity of a dead Savior. When Jesus' lifeless body was, was buried and, and sealed behind that tomb door as he suffered the curse of Adam and Eve's sin. And all of this leads us to today. And the final condition that needed to be met in order to rescue us from our plight. The necessity of a risen Savior. A risen Savior. I hope when I say those words that it brings joy to your hearts. Let's let's look at our text and see why why the empty tomb is so important. Look look again at verse 1. After the Sabbath, at at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Once again, we we see these Marys, Mary Magdalene and this other Mary, who who, who we saw earlier as the mother of James and Joseph. These were the women who had traveled with Jesus throughout his ministry, taking care of his needs. They were the ones who were there at the cross witnessing Jesus' suffering. They were the ones who were there when, when Joseph of Arimathea laid Christ's dead body into that newly cut tomb. And now they were coming back to that tomb as, as the Sabbath was finally over and, and they could finally finish preparing Jesus' body as was proper at that time. You see, as these women walked to that tomb, their expectation was death. They they were not going to this tomb thinking that Jesus would be alive. No. You see, even though Jesus proclaimed that he would rise again on the third day, these women, they, they weren't thinking that way. 
Those words weren't going through their head. For what they had witnessed was brutal. Something that you don't come back from. No, as these women were, were, were heading towards that tomb, they were without hope. They, they were going to the grave of their Lord to say their goodbyes. And yet somewhere along the way, the earth shook. Look at verses 2 through 4. There was a, a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. And going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. And his clothes were, were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. With the arrival of this angelic being came this violent, violent earthquake. This, this messenger of God approached the tomb of our Lord and a tomb that was sealed and guarded. And yet standing in his way, what were there? Roman centurions. Now these, these soldiers, they, they were not weak men. They, they, they were trained. They were battle-hardened. Warriors who, who did not scare easily. And yet at the sight of God's angel, they trembled with fear. Trembled until they could tremble no more. Until they became like dead men. Lifeless and unmoving. You see, here's what you need to understand. When, when it comes to God's glory, His splendor is, is so great, so heavy, that sinful man cannot stand. And this angel that proceeded from God's throne room, this angel reflected that glory, the glory of God. He radiated so much that even those tough-as-nails soldiers shook with fear and were made still. They became helpless like little children, for they had witnessed the power of God, and they were terrified. Well, with the guards out of the way, this messenger of God then demonstrated his might by rolling back that heavy stone, breaking the seal that, that had declared that that tomb was under Rome's protection. And yet there was a greater authority than Caesar who had decided that this grave must be opened. But, it, but, but this wasn't done for, for Jesus' benefit. For, for Jesus had already risen. A mere stone slab is not a barrier for our Lord. No. This, this stone was removed for the benefit of these women and for those who would later come so that they might enter in and bear witness that they might give testimony to those around them of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So yes, the guards were made helpless. Yes, the seal was broken. Yes, the, the, the door was rolled away. Not to let the Messiah escape, but to allow those who were sorrowful and lacking in hope to enter in. That they might witness the goodness of God and have their faith renewed. 
Look at verse 5. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. You see, just as those soldiers were lying on the ground, trembling in fear, these women were afraid. And they should have been afraid. For the angel of the Lord was now addressing them. And yet this messenger spoke into them courage. Courage and not fear. Do not be afraid. Christ has risen. This is good news. And because of these words, because of the words of these angels, these, these women, they did not fall to the ground like those Roman soldiers. Rather, they remained upright and had their wits about them. You see, an irony of ironies, it, 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 it was those manly brutes, those those masculine men who collapsed in terror while these frail women stood tall facing God's angel. This imagery is but a foreshadow of how it will be on the last day. For all will come before the Father, before His glory to be judged. And those who are the enemies of Christ will not stand. Rather, they will be faced with the reality of the second death, the lake of fire. And it doesn't matter how, how, how physically strong or mentally strong that person is. For once they, once they are before God Almighty, they will be but withered, withered grass. And yet for those who are the friends of Jesus, to those whom he calls his own, they will find a strength that is not their own. They will be able, able to stand before the judgment of God. For they will not rely on their own power, but on the righteousness that comes to them through the salvific work of Jesus Christ. Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. You see, for these women, the empty tomb was good news. And good news such as this is meant to be proclaimed. It's meant to be spread far and wide. And that's why the angel gave them the instruction that he did. Go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. And this is exactly what they did. Look at verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. They were afraid, yet filled with joy. 
These mingled emotions that they were experiencing had come from the words that the angel had spoken to them. For, for this news of Christ's resurrection produced both a fear and a wonder, a, a terror and a sense of gladness. And these are the markings, the, the beginnings, if you will, of true faith. For God is both holy and loving. He is that fierce lion of Judah, and yet he shows mercy to those who are humble to those who are his. Dear friends, we are a sinful, sinful people. And Jesus is one that you should fear. Yet at the same time, he is good. And he demonstrates his loving kindness to those whom he calls his own. You see, God does not want you to remain in fear. No. He wants you to move beyond the fear and into trust. A trust in his love. And that is why we see what we do in our next verses. For Christ, Christ himself came to these women to take away their fears. Look at verses 9 and 10. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. <clears throat> oh, what joy must have filled their hearts. These faithful, faithful women were now in the presence of their king. He who was dead was now alive and standing before them. He has risen just as he said. How many of you wish you could see a loved one who has now gone for just one more day? How many of you would give anything to just spend a, a little more time with, with that one that you have lost? Imagine if that happened. For, for this, this was the joy of these women. And this is the reality of the resurrection. For a risen Savior means reunion. A risen Savior means reconnection. It means that what that was, which was lost is now found. And a risen Savior also means power and authority. And this is why these women were, were bowing before Jesus and clasping at his feet. You see, this, this empty tomb, that, that was enough for them to believe. Yet it was his physical presence that they desired. They wanted to be at his side, worshiping him. For their eyes had now been opened, and they saw him for who he truly is. He is God in human flesh. He is Yahweh in the form of a man. He has a body that they could reach out and, and touch. And yet, 
He has a power that is beyond anything that they could comprehend. For Jesus, this, this one they called Lord, has defeated death. And he has the, the ability to bring life to whomever he chooses. He holds the keys to, to death and Hades. For he is greater than either one. And so he accepts the worship of these women as he removes their fears. For he also has the authority to do that. Do not be afraid. Let me ask you, do you understand who Jesus truly is? That he is both fully God and fully man. That he is beyond you and yet he connects with you. That he has the power to give out eternal life. And that he is worthy of your worship. Do you bow before him and, and clasp and, and wonder at his feet? For once you know who he truly is, once you submit to him as both God and King, trusting in his goodness, only then will your fears be relieved. For he is your risen Savior, and the power of life and death resides within him. Let him come to you. Let him take away your fears as he offers to you eternal life. Well, this certainly was good news for these women. News that they would share with the other disciples. And yet, they were not the only ones who were, who were spreading the word. Let's look at this next section of scripture. Look at, look at verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. Once these guards had overcome their fears, they, they went straight to those who had commissioned them, to the ones who had, who had placed them at the tomb in the first place. They went to the chief priests. And they told these men all, all that had happened. Now, why did they go to the chief priests? Why didn't they go to Pilate? And here's, here's what you need to know about Roman soldiers. When, when they were given a post, when, when they were given a watch, if they had left that watch or if they had failed because of their own cowardice, the punishment was death. And so to go back to Pilate would be like committing suicide. No, they wouldn't go back to Pilate. Rather, they would go to these religious leaders looking for help. I mean, after all, this job came from them. Perhaps they could help them out of this mess somehow. Now, now think about this situation. These Roman soldiers had told the chief priests everything that had happened. That means the chief priests knew about the earthquake. They knew about the angel. They knew about the, the rolling away of the stone, and they knew about the empty tomb. 
And even perhaps they knew about Jesus rising from the dead. But even if the soldiers didn't witness that last one, all the evidence was pointing to the fact that Jesus was now alive. But the question was, how would they deal with this? How would these enemies of our Lord face the reality of a risen Messiah? Think back to the moment when Jesus was dying on that cross. What did these same leaders do? They, they mocked him. They, they ridiculed him. They, they spoke these words to him. Look at Matthew 27, verse 42. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. Really? Did you really mean those words when you said that? Now that Jesus is alive once more, will you believe in him? Let's find out. Look at the end of our passage. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you were to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while, they were, while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. These men, these chief priests, did not believe. Instead of having faith, we find fear. You see, these religious leaders, they, they had all the proof they needed. They knew that Jesus was alive. And yet, instead of believing, they, they, they chose to dig in their heels that much more. In fact, these men were so desperate that they concocted this ridiculous story a story that was filled with many, many holes. For instance, if, if the guards were asleep, then how did they know that, that it was Jesus' disciples who took the body? And if that were the case, then why weren't these disciples being arrested? For they would have broken a Roman seal and would have committed a treasonous act. Not to mention that molesting a grave was a serious offense in itself. So why wasn't Pilate chasing after these men? No, just like all other cover-ups throughout history, this one was filled with inconsistencies. But why? Why, why make up this story? What was the motivation behind it? You see, these religious leaders, they were still afraid of Jesus. We saw this after his death, when they still feared Jesus' words, his, his claims that he would rise from the dead three days later. They feared that his disciples would come and steal the body away in an effort to make this claim a reality. And, and it was out of fear that they had posted these Roman guards at that tomb. But now these soldiers had become witnesses of what they feared the most. That Jesus' words were true. That this dead man had come back to life. 
that he had risen from the grave and is alive. And that, that is what terrified them more than anything. For a resurrected Savior proves that Jesus is who he says he is. That he is Lord. But rather than to believe what was plain for them to see, these men chose to suppress the truth in their wickedness. And this is why a deal was struck. For if these soldiers would keep their mouths shut about the truth, and if they would spread the lie about the body being stolen, then these religious leaders would, would protect those men by taking the fall if news had reached Pilate's ears. And yet in their heart of hearts, these chief priests and these elders, they knew the truth. But they were driven by fear and not by faith. For to them, an empty tomb was not good news. For, for it meant that Jesus is the Christ. And that they needed to submit to him. Let me ask you, how does this message of a risen Savior impact you? Does it cause you to fear, knowing that you will one day have to give an account to our risen King? Or does it cause you joy? Because Jesus is the first fruit of many. A first fruit of eternal life for those who repent and who trust in him. Dear friends, the, the empty tube, it, it is good news to some, but to others it is a stench of death. For a risen Savior means that, that death is not final. And, that, and there are those who are out there who do not want to face God's wrath. They would rather be snuffed out, to, to not exist at all, than to have to bow down before their Creator. To them, a risen Savior means a loss of their own authority. It means that there is someone who is higher than they are. Someone who, whom they must bend the knee to. And it also means that they will be judged. And they would rather not be in existence than to have to submit to, to the one that they hate and face his wrath. Yet God did not speak life into man so that he would be some finite creature. That was not his plan in the garden. Not what he intended. For all, all shall be raised and judged accordingly. This is what we read in our first scripture reading. Look at, look at Revelation 20 verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. 
If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Listen, you cannot hide from God by dying. There's not a single soul who will not be raised. And all, all will have to give an account. And God's justice will stand firm. Ask yourself, does Jesus' resurrection, does this event that is monumental, does it bring you joy or does it create within you a fear and a tension? Does it bring you peace knowing that your Savior lives or does this fact keep you awake at night? Only those who trust in Jesus In this one who rose from the dead. Those who have faith in this risen Savior. Those who know his goodness and his loving kindness will have their names in that book of life. Jesus came to rescue you. He became a man for your sake. He died on the cross for your sins. And he rose from the dead for your victory. It was necessary for you to have a risen Savior. And so if you are a friend of Jesus, if you know him as Lord and King, then the empty tomb is good news. And your fears, yes, your fears can be put to rest because Christ's victory over death has been accomplished. And he shares this victory with those he loves. He shares this victory with you. And this, my friend, should bring you much joy. Much, much joy. For eternal life is yours. Through Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son to die for our sins. We thank you that he rose from the dead victorious. There was once a time when we were considered your enemies, and yet we have been reconciled to you through this salvific work of Jesus Christ. Our hope is in the resurrection that Jesus is alive and that he welcomes us into your family, that he calls us brothers and sisters. Our hope is that he gives us his Holy Spirit, allowing us to commune with you once again. And so we ask now that you would strengthen our faith this day let us grow in our knowledge of you and of, and of what you have done for us to your glory, to the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.